Well, um, you were supposed to see a much younger, better-looking guy preach this morning. It was supposed to be Jeremiah Liu, uh, but Jem, unfortunately, this morning at 6.15, uh, came down with COVID symptoms and had a positive rat test, so unfortunately, he can't preach today. So you get me instead, I'm really sorry, uh, and if Jem, you're watching at home, um, we are praying for you. It mustn't be very pleasant to be sick, and anyone else who's had COVID the last little while, we're praying for you all as well. Um, but here we go. We're going to continue in Psalms. It's a different Psalm to what Jem would have preached in. I want to begin, though, by um, getting you to guess which church, just by showing you pictures of the worshippers. So here are some pictures of worshippers. Can anyone guess which church we're talking about? Any, any, anyone want to hazard a guess? Hill, someone say Hillsong? No, it's not Hillsong. Looks a bit 80s, doesn't it? So, 90s maybe? No idea? Well, actually, it's a bit of a trick question because it's not a church at all. It's actually from the Oprah Winfrey Show. Uh, for those of you who aren't old enough to remember Oprah, Oprah was the queen of talk shows. For 25 years, she was on air, finished in 2011. But even more recently, Oprah is the one they got to interview Prince Harry and Meghan, uh, you know, in the last year or so. Oprah is the queen of talk shows, and those were people in her audience. And it just shows us that even though it, it wasn't a church, it looks so much like church. It looks so much like worship. Because here's the thing, right? The human soul was created to worship. We're created to pour ourselves into someone or something greater than us to take us out of the ordinary, to give us a taste for eternity and significance. Now, Oprah was so popular because she did that for people. And because the Bible's view of worship is that everyone, even atheists, even people who don't believe in God, all worship, right? This is going to be the case. See, it's not whether we worship. The question is always who or what we worship. Uh, so what's worship? Because we're going to talk a lot about worship today through this psalm. Worship comes from the old English word worthship. So it's giving someone or something worth. And if you start by giving something worth or someone worth, by, usually by speaking about it, verbally giving praise and honor and glory. But then you show it also, right? Not just by your words. You end up serving it. You end up living for it. You end up giving it priorities. You make sacrifices for it. That's worship. And so worship is the most motivating thing in any person's life. Every single person on earth is motivated by worship. Again, Right? Even if they're an atheist, they're motivated by what or who they worship, whether it's worshiping God or worshiping someone or something else. So at the beginning of 2022, I wonder, what do you want to be motivated by? Especially if, like me, like everyone, you find the prospect of another COVID year pretty demoralizing and pretty unmotivating. I mean, how many of us are starting the year just feeling totally unmotivated? Well, guess what? Psalm 103 is one of those amazingly beautiful psalms who will, that will give us what we need at the beginning of the year because it will orientate us or reorientate us in terms of our worship. So you ready? I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. Father God, we thank you so much that when the world is chaos, that you are our rock. And more so because your word is firm. And these beautiful words written by King David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, coming from ultimately your mouth, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak it to us afresh this morning. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Um, keep it open. If you want uh, the digital outlines, go.swec.org.au slash outline. It's there for you. Verse 1 tells us what true worship that starts with praise, what it looks like. Look at it there. It says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Okay, I want you to notice inmost being. See, worship is an activity of the entire us, the inner us, the soul, which means you can't just reduce it to something in your mind, intellectual. You can't just reduce it to something you do with your bodies, raise hands or not, or even just your emotions. And you certainly can't reduce it just to religious rituals or even singing worship songs. No, no, no. Worship comes from an overflow of the heart. Our very inmost being comes from the heart and all the way out. Now, sometimes worship of God happens naturally, but of course, it's not always the case, right? See, if you're like me, then you find that, that life is busy, life is distracting, and it's sometimes really hard, isn't it, to worship in the way that Psalm 103 describes. And, and this psalm, it's realistic, it's written in the real world by a real person, and it recognizes it. And that's why, did you notice there, the psalmist, the writer, whose name is King David, by the way, look, look what he's doing. He's actually, in those verses, speaking to himself, isn't he? Do you notice that? He's telling his soul. He's speaking to his soul. He says, praise the Lord, my soul. He's addressing himself. And he's telling him, himself not to forget all of God's benefits. You see, sometimes you have to speak to your inner self to deliberately remember and recall. And so what are we supposed to recall? Well, this psalm directs our soul to two experiences of God that we need to constantly remind ourselves, speak to ourselves about, so that we can be a person and a church that genuinely worships God. So it's firstly the personal experience of God's goodness, and then point number two, the corporate experience of God's faithful love. So let's go to the first one. Let's reread those early verses. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Okay, so here's King David, the writer of this song, this psalm. He finds reasons to praise and worship God when he looks at how good God has been to him in his own personal life. And so you see there, forgiveness, and healing, and redemption from the pit. The pit is another word for death, really. And love and compassion. You see, here's the thing. You can know all of this in your head, but it won't be enough to generate worship in your inmost being, in your soul. Because he's, he's not just saying he wants to understand God's faithful love and compassion. He's saying, let it crown me, right? That is, let God's love and compassion be his glory, his crown, his joy, his pride, yeah, that's what the word crown means. Not just knowing God's goodness intellectually, but you see, being satisfied is the word he uses, by God's goodness. Uh, worship is deeply experiential, right? And that's why when verse 2 says, don't forget, it's not just saying, oh, remember these facts, okay? It's asking us to tap into experiences, right? Memories that are experiences. Now, I don't know if you know this, but food does that, doesn't it? This is the reason why I love food. 
And I think a lot of you do as well. Because when you see, even when you especially smell and savor a dish that has a particular meaning to you, what does it do? Like it triggers memories. It connects us to experiences in the past. One example I can think of is stinky tofu. I know a lot of you are thinking, yeah, I can see why stinky tofu would trigger stuff. But no, for me, from Taiwan, stinky tofu takes me back to Taiwan and the street stalls and the childhood. And the... it's not just I intellectually remember these things when I eat stinky tofu. And it's also because it's so hard to get in Australia. Every time I bite into one and smell it and see it, right, an experience is relived. If you're a follower of Jesus, your stinky tofu is Jesus. I can't believe I just said that. Your stinky tofu is Jesus. What do I mean by that? I'm not trying to insult Jesus, no. Right? Jesus is the reason and what triggers our experience of God's goodness at the deep experiential level. You see, we have far more reasons, don't we, than David to worship. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the ultimate experience of God's goodness and compassion and love and healing and forgiveness. You see, how did Jesus forgive us? He became sin for us in our place. How did Jesus heal us? By bearing our infirmities and sickness and sorrows. How does Jesus redeem us? By paying the price for redemption. How does Jesus bring us a crown by laying down his crown? How does Jesus satisfy us by going without? And I wonder if you're here today, if you've had a personal experience of God's goodness to you in Jesus. If you're not sure, and you may have been in church all your life, but be unsure of that personal experience, or maybe you know you're not a follower of Jesus yet, why don't you meet him this year? Really meet Jesus this year. Look, in February, we're having invitation month. It's a great time to investigate. Following that, we're hoping to run Alpha again. Right? This is a good year to really engage, really find out about Jesus and seek to experience him personally. So let's do that this year. Okay, that was the first point. But the main section of this psalm, actually most of the verses, not just about David himself, but about David amongst the people, the corporate experience of God's faithful love. And so you see it there. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. So he, he's going to begin and he's going to talk about a worship that flows out of when God's people together remember how God has dealt with them together for his people. And it all started when God initiated relationship with his people by revealing himself to them. So let's read on verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Verse 8 is really important. In fact, it's repeated so much in the Old Testament that it's almost like if God had a profile pic, but in words, it would be that, okay? Right? Because it's from the Exodus, Exodus 34, 7. Don't look it up. Right? God is saying, he said to Moses back then, you want to know me? You want to know the real me? Here it is. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Well, it's unpacked. What does that mean for the Lord to be this? Verse 9 following tells us what does that mean? He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. 
One of the biggest misunderstandings is that the Old Testament has this angry God and the New Testament has a loving God. Of course, people who say that have never really read the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament history is actually a history of God's immense patience and His love and His compassion. It's the same God. And in verses 11 to 13, um, the writer is going to give us three similes. What's a simile? You guys remember high school English, all right? It's a comparing thing, right? Something is like something is a simile. Um, What are the benefits if you're God's very own people? Um, Let me give you the first two, verse 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. I want you for a moment, in the quietness of your heart, to think about your sins. Think about your deepest regrets. Remember your darkest shame. The things that no one else knows about and no one else has seen, that if someone were to know right now, you would want to dig a hole, crawl into it and stay there. Think about those sins and imagine them piling up How high do you think your sins would pile up if you were honest enough? Well, you know what God says? It's not high enough. Not high enough to keep me away from loving you. I picture your sins as a chasm, right? Like the Grand Canyon. How far do you think it would remove you from the love of God Hear God say to you this morning, not far enough. There's a song called East to West. I won't sing it for you. But some of the lyrics go like this. I know you've cast my sin as far as the east is from the west. And I stand before you now as though I've never sinned. But today I feel like I'm just one mistake away from you leaving me this way. Jesus, can you show me just how far the east is from the west? Because I can't bear to see the man I've been come rising up in me again. In the arms of your mercy, I find rest. Because you know just how far the east is from the west, from one scarred hand to the other. Some of you here or listening, you think that God is constantly disappointed and frustrated with you because that's how you feel about yourself. But you know what? God's attitude towards us, if you belong to Him, it's not frustration, it's not disappointment, it's compassion. The kind of compassion of a father for a child. You see there, that's the third simile. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The word compassion there is, is the kind of churning up of your, of your insides when you see someone you love hurt or weak. I mean, if you see a kid, if you see your kid, 
trying to learn a, to ride a bike, for example, and they fall down. What happens when your child falls down trying to ride a bike? Well, I gather that hopefully 99% of the fathers here, or soon-to-be fathers, and one day will be a father, you're not going to point to your kid and laugh at them. You're not going to say, come on, you loser. Anyone can ride a bike, even your mother. No, don't say that. Um, no, no, no. Even us imperfect fathers, we see our kid fall down and fail, and most of the time we're roused to compassion, hopefully, rather than criticism. Well, God is the perfect father, isn't he? Like He sees us, and he has compassion on us and our weakness, because he knows we are prone to fall, not on a bike, but in lots of other ways. Look what it says in verse 14. Oops, sorry, back to the verse 14. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. Okay, we're not only just prone to fail. We're fleeting. We're impermanent. We come from dust. We'll go to dust. We come and go. But here's the big comparison. God and his love is not like that. His love for us rests on something much more solid than how good or lovable we are, how well we perform, our merit. No, no, no. Look at verse 17. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him and His righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. Now, there's a key word there. It's actually come up lots before. It's the word love, but not just any word for love. I've used this before, so you probably know it if you're regular at SWEC. It's the word love that's sometimes translated as steadfast love or faithful love. It's the word chesed, right? Chesed. It's actually there in verse 4, verse 8, verse 11, verse 17. All those times you see the word love, it's that Hebrew word chesed. It's God's faithful love. Never changing love steadfast love, promised love. You see the word there? Covenant. God's love is based on covenant. It's based on promises, not emotional ups and downs and highs and lows. When God saves us and makes us his people, he seals that relationship with an unbreakable set of promises, a covenant. Verse 18, and that's the other key word there. And the closest parallel we have is probably marriage, right? In, in human terms. Um, by the way, Karen and I just celebrated our 22nd, 22 years of marriage yesterday. Happy anniversary to us. Um, now, we, like any other married couple, we made promises in our vows, and the vows would have included words like in sickness and in health. Now, we have never, in the last 22 years, we've never really known what it's like to keep those promises in sickness and health, because the truth is we've been mostly healthy and not very sick. But let me tell you about my friend Aaron. When his wife and my even better friend from childhood, from youth group, when his wife Tina was dying of cancer, he wrote this in his online publicly available journal back then. Let me read it out to you. Tina was admitted to hospital one week ago. She's in almost constant pain. The doctors are trying to find the right treatment and drug combinations to battle the cancer, reduce the pain and nausea, as well as deal with the various side effects of the drugs. Needless to say, she's not at her best. Whenever she recounts her medical history to a new doctor, it makes me so sad. 
When we got married almost 13 years ago, we memorized our vows to each other and successfully said them without prompts. This afternoon, I was recounting our wedding vows silently as Tina was sleeping. I, Aaron, in the presence of God, our friends and our families, take you, Tina, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love you and cherish you as Christ loved the church, till death do us part, or Christ returns. Trusting in God's abundant grace and with God's Christ's love as my example, I make this solemn vow and promise to you. This past two months, there has definitely been a lot of grieving and tears. I certainly didn't expect or think that God had this in store for us as 25-year-olds getting married. But I would still make the same vows today. Tina died in 2015 at the age of 39. But you see, not even the worst kind of sickness, and cancer is horrible, isn't it? It's like the worst, worst Not even the worst kind of sickness could separate Tina from Aaron's love. Why? Because it was built on promises. What Romans chapter 8 says, you might know it. Well, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because this is the new covenant. It's not written on ink, on tablets of stone, but written with the blood of God's own son, Jesus and inscribed in our hearts by His own Spirit. Remember the words of Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are words, that's a promise you can bank your life on. And doesn't that, if you really get it, if you this morning just let it trickle back into your hearts again, doesn't that generate worship? Well, that's exactly how the psalm ends. We actually not just go from personal to corporate. There's a point that I'm not going to be able to expand on. We go to universal worship because all the angels, all the hosts, the armies essentially of heaven, all of creation are going to finish joining in worship and praise. Let's just read the last few verses and. I'll conclude. The Lord has established His throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord. Remember, he starts off by saying, praise the Lord, my soul. Now it expands to praise the Lord, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding, who obey His word. Praise the Lord, all His heavenly hosts. The word host there means armies. You His servants who do His will. Praise the Lord, all His works, everywhere in His dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. The whole of creation resounds in worship because of what God has done. Let's get the band up here. We're going to get ready to sing. Let me conclude. Worship is so important because, as I said before, everyone worships. And getting the worship right 
or remembering or reorientating ourselves to right worship is really the best way personally and for us as a church to start off in 2022. Because here's the thing, right? Right worship can do what law and religion and rules and regulations and church programs can't. I'm used to throwing church programs out the window these last two years. But, you know, we don't need church programs. What we need is right worship because when we behold and delight in God's goodness and beauty, it can bring the kind of renewal that we all need, don't we? After two long years of COVID, don't we need, verse 5, our youth renewed like the eagles? Worship can do that. And I'll speak more about renewal next week. Now, if you're into making New Year's resolutions then make the kind of resolutions that will feed this kind of personal and corporate worship. All right? Make the kind of resolutions that's going to fan the flame of personal and corporate worship. Because if you don't, if we don't, our true worship of God will be hijacked. It will be hijacked. And it won't be hijacked by a person, not a false prophet or a heretical church or anything like that. It'll be hijacked, believe it or not, by a series of zeros and ones. What am I talking about? I'm talking about very, 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 very powerful algorithms created to lead us to false worship. You know what they are, right? It's your smartphones. It's YouTube. It's social media feeds. It's your Netflix and Spotify recommendations. All of them, driven by clever algorithms, were built, were created to do exactly this, to keep you distracted and make you value, desire, and worship what your advertisers want you to worship because corporations know that worship drives dollars. Did you know that? One New Year's resolution worth making. Take time out from all of this. Have you considered this year? Take time out from all of this. COVID, staying at home hasn't made us generally more godly. For most of us, it's made us more distracted. We've watched more Netflix. We've spent hours choosing Netflix programs and never deciding on one. No, 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 no. One great New Year's resolution is to shut that stuff down every so often. Be intentional about when you look at your phones or your Instagram feed, and be even more intentional when you don't look at those feeds to instead feed your soul with the Word of God, with prayer, with undistracted and deep conversations with each other, and of course with praise and worship of God. Wouldn't that be a good thing to do at the beginning of the year? Let's pray. Father, you've taught us this morning to praise you, what we were created to do, to find our deepest satisfaction in worship of you. And we confess and admit that we've been distracted, we've strayed, we've forgotten, we've wandered. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that this year, 2022, would be a year when we're intentionally going to be renewed in our worship of you, both personally and as a church, so that the whole universe, from top to bottom, from east to west, might know and praise you as you deserve to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we sing?